Uh, Joan has a testimony for us. I'm going to ask her to come on up. And let's glorify the Lord together through this testimony. Joan, we love you. Let's give her a round of applause. Yeah. Something the Lord has been challenging me with lately. Here, can you step right here? Let's come right up here. That'll keep our, we're now we're behind the speakers. Yeah, Jesus is happy. to uh, remember the goodness of the Lord in my life. As I'm getting older, yes, it happens. Um, I, I'm just challenged by that, you know, because all the wonderful things that God has done in my life, I don't want them to just get lost and forgotten and nobody knows. And so, and it's an encouragement one to another, right? When we share stuff like that. So I was, I got saved when I was um, 18 years old and part of the Jesus movement. I was a hippie. Okay. Anyway, um, Jesus uh, revolution movie is bringing that all back also. But anyway, um, so I, uh, at the time I was working um, at a candle shop and um, all my, when I, first met the Lord, I just told everybody I saw about Jesus. You've got to hear what's happened to me, Jesus. And just, you know, really bold, whatever. Well, as a result, all my friends dropped me. Every one of them I'd ever known. And um, even the Christians that, because there was this powerful move of God, and even the Christians that I was around that I thought, um, you know, were my friends, it turned out they didn't want to be with me either. And so I didn't know what was going on. So anyway, I was on my lunch break, and I had my head down, and it, was, it had been snowing. There was all this snow on the sidewalk. And I'm looking down, and I'm saying to myself, well, saying to the Lord, Lord, I need to know, is this really real? Maybe, maybe it's just this emotional high I'm on. Maybe it's not really genuine. I need to know, I need to know that this is real and that you are the way, the truth, and the life. And I kept looking down and I, in the snow, I saw this cross sparkling. It was silver. And it was the most beautiful cross I've ever seen before or since. It was, um, it was designed by, I later found out, this guy from Switzerland. And it was, it was gorgeous. Anyway, um, sil handmade silver. Uh, anyway, and I looked down at this, and I saw it in the snow. And it was you know, partially covered by the snow. And I, and I said, God, what are you saying? And, and the Lord said, yes, I am real. Yes, I am real. I am the all-powerful God. And yes, you will be despised and rejected because I was and because you're mine. And that's okay. And you be bold and you walk on in me and know that my hand is upon you, and you can remember, hold this in your hand, and remember that I am with you. Wow. Wow. That's amazing. Praise God. Wow. Praise the Lord. He speaks, and he is good. Amen? Thank you, Lord. Let's pray together. Father, you are good. Lord, thank you that you can use snowy days 
Lord, you can use jewelry. You can use anything you want to use because you are the great king. Lord Jesus, we look to you for everything because you are the way, the truth, and the life. Father, as we come to you today, I ask you, Lord, that you would deposit your word richly and deeply in us. Father, still our hearts, like Joan on that day. Lord, still our hearts that we would hear from you, that we can serve you well. And Father, whatever you call us to do in life, I ask you, Father, that you would help us to honor you, that we would be a blessing and a fragrant offering to you. And so, Lord, we place ourselves before you and we say, Jesus, you are worthy. You're worthy of us. And we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Will you turn your Bible with me, please, to the book of Luke, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. We're going to be in Luke chapter 6 today. Today, as we start looking at the Word of God, I'm going to ask you to do something a little weird, a little different. So bear with me because it's a little funny. Uh, We're going to take just a moment. I want you just to remember that the Lord is your source. Remember that he's the king over all things. And we're going to take just a moment. We're just going to be quiet before him to hear from him. And so just we're going to have just quietness. You might hear the air conditioner. You might hear the baptismal making little gurgly sounds. We're just going to be quiet before him for a minute. Let's do that together now. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for that. It's about 30 seconds. Coughing is permissible. Don't worry about that. You know what's funny is sometimes when I try to just rest and hear the Word of God and just seek Him, isn't it interesting how it takes about 4.7 seconds for stuff you've been thinking about in the day to come back in your mind? You know what I'm talking about? So you don't have to raise your hand or anything. Maybe this time you were really disciplined, or maybe this time you're listening hard for the air conditioner, (laughs) you know, but isn't it funny how sometimes we start to pray, we start to seek God, we start to do things, and all of a sudden, all the thoughts start coming in. Have you ever committed yourself a time to fast or a time to seek the Lord, and then you find that you actually end up working through it instead of actually coming to Him? Sometimes we can let our minds just start to focus on other things. You know, that happened to the disciples. I think there's a spiritual thing about that. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, he told them to come with him to pray. And he was about to go to the cross after the Last Supper. He took them up into the garden, and he said, come with me, we're going to pray. And then he took three specific disciples, and he said, you, James, and Peter, and John, come with me, we're going to pray over here. And they're just a little ways away. He said, pray with me that you might not enter into temptation. And he went on a little way longer, ways longer. And in that time, he's tempted to not go to the cross for us. He's tempted to abandon the plan of the Father because he knows the great price that it will be for him to suffer the cross. And he is strengthened by angels. He's so distraught in anguish over this 
that he's actually sweating drops of blood. And then he stands up and he comes back to find the disciples and he finds all of them asleep. And he says, Have you, could you not stay awake for me with, for one hour? He says, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And there is something about that where the flesh is weak. Sometimes we start entering into God's rest. And when we do that, we find that our mind starts to churn with things. I heard a, a preacher one time as we, as we came into a church meeting, and he said, I want you to take all of your cares and leave them at the back door. Leave them here, come in, and this is a holy place, and God doesn't want those cares, he wants you. And I appreciate what he said, and you know, the reality, though, is it's really hard to do that. It doesn't work, really. And the reality of coming into God's presence doesn't mean that you can come in as some other fake self than who you are. And when we come in, and what we find in the Bible over and over is that people came in authentically to Jesus. With all the things that were going on in their lives, they came before Jesus. And many times, they had a lot of junk and a lot of baggage behind them. And not perfect, squeaky clean things to bring to the Lord. And the reality is, God's word is powerful. And as we come to him, he clears away those things to get to the heart of what we are. And he deals with all of our cares and concerns. Did you know that the Lord cares about your work? If you work in an IT company and it's all electrons and I don't understand it, he does. If you're a lawyer, God created law. He loves it. If you're an artist, God created art. Look at creation. He loves it. He cares for our work. He cares for the things on your mind. He cares for what you bring to him. And we bring our whole selves to God and say, Lord, this is me. And he redeems us because he cares for us. Isn't that good? Not just part of us. In, in Luke chapter 6, we're going to find that Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath, is the little phrase that it says above. But Jesus has been ministering. He has been cleansing people. He has been healing people. He started calling his disciples. And we find that Jesus is changing the norm of what people think about what religion should be. But the religious leaders don't really like this too much because they have a pretty set way of doing things. In fact, the Pharisees that we read about in the Bible, you know, Pharisees were actually a, a respected and, I wouldn't say beloved, but they were a very respected group. When we talk about the Pharisees in the Bible, these guys would be like Ivy League law professor kind of guys. The scribes, to be a scribe, you had to have the best handwriting. You had to have the most discipline. You were in charge of being the kinkos of your day. You had to copy things, it was very important. And because you couldn't just copy stuff, you had to be extremely disciplined. That meant that if you were writing a manuscript, and I'm talking pages and pages and pages long, you were allowed like one mistake in the whole thing. If you had more than that, you were fired. So to be a scribe, these were the most meticulous, the, the most careful, the most diligent people in the society, the best educated people in the society. To be a Pharisee meant that you went to the Ivy League schools of the day. These guys were super smart, especially in the midst of a people, many of whom could not read and did not have formal education. And the Pharisees were so smart about the law that they started really looking at it carefully. And as they're looking at the law of God in the Bible, one of the problems that they have is they start creating new ways of approaching it. And so they would look at something like Sunday church. And they would say, when you come to Sunday church, the Bible says this is a holy set-apart day, and you're not supposed to work on this day. And so they thought they would sit down in their Ivy League thought, and they would say, well, how do we define work? 
what does, like, what do you mean by is work? What does that mean? And they would start discussing it and talking about all these things. And so they came up with a lot of rules. Rules like how many steps you could take on a church day. Rules like when you could wash clothes. Rules like how much preparation you could do beforehand. Rules like if you flip the crock pot on, does that count as work? Or do you have to do that before midnight the night before? And so they came up with all these things. And they took the Ten Commandments and the ceremonial law, and they made 600 laws that the people needed to follow. And now Jesus comes on the scene, and Jesus is calling disciples, and he's just life everywhere he goes. And the people who can't keep up with the 600 laws, they come to Jesus, and they find that he's forgiving their sins, and he's, he's healing them of infirmities, and he's casting out demons, and he's doing all these things that look like life. Whereas the Ivy League stuff looks like being trapped, mostly. And so now they start coming to Jesus to trap him in the law. And they start asking him in Luke chapter 5 questions about fasting and about religious rites. And then as we get to Luke chapter 6, Jesus, who is already under the microscope of all the lawyers of the day, is going to be now asked questions about things happening to do with coming to church. So in this time period, the Jews, of course, are worshiping on Saturday. That's the Sabbath day. And the Lord had said in the law, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. This was a day that was set apart for God where we didn't do work. But also, your employees didn't do work. You didn't employ your animals to do work. This was a special day. You know, that takes a lot of preparation. If you're going to have a special day where no work happens, you got to be prepared for it. This is not just get a curse every day but Sunday or Chick-fil-A. That's what everybody, you know, Chick-fil-A is hilarious. Go to Chick-fil-A sometime and just around lunch on a Sunday and watch the expressions of people as they pull in the parking lot and like, I forgot, Sunday! And then they just go out. It's hilarious. It's true. Have you ever done that? I've done that before. But the Sabbath is a special day. So here's what Luke chapter 6 says. Let's read it together starting at verse 1. On a Sabbath, while he, that's Jesus, was going through the grain fields... His disciples plucked and ate some heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands like this to get the grain out of the head of the, of the wheat to eat it. That was against the 600 rules. Some of the Pharisees said, why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? And Jesus answered them, have you not read what David did when he was hungry? He and those who were with him how he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priests to eat, and also gave it to those with him. And he said to them, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. On another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue, and he was teaching. And a man was there whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether or not he would heal on the Sabbath, so that they might find a reason to accuse him. But he knew their thoughts, and he said to the man with the withered hand, Come and stand here. And he rose and stood there. And Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to destroy it? And after looking around at them, and after looking around at them all, he said to him, Stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was fully restored. And they were filled with fury and discussed with one another 
what they might do to Jesus. Praise the Lord for his word. What's something that you, I'm, I'm legitimately asking this question, it's not rhetorical, you can actually answer. Uh, what's something that surprises you about this passage that we just read? Did anything surprise you? Yeah. Yeah. Have you ever seen a man's hand withered? So my Aunt Sally, God bless her, is, uh, she has cerebral palsy. She's 62, something like that, 62. She has maybe, maybe the mental capacity of like a five-year-old, six-year-old maybe. Um, she's lovely. She's great. She's a stinker too. She'll get away with a lot if you can. My favorite story is one time uh, she called me and she said, your dad was supposed to bring me lunch. I've said this story before, but it's so great. Your dad's supposed to bring me lunch. He's not here. I don't know what to do. I'm home alone. I was like, Sal, you're alone? What's going on? Yeah, I'm alone. Nobody's here. And so now I'm alarmed. I'm like, oh, man, something must have happened. I try to reach my dad. This is back in the day of pagers. Nothing, no call back. So I'm like, Phew. so I, what do I do? I run quick, get her lunch, bring it over there. And she had made known to me that she wanted a fish fillet sandwich from McDonald's. So I went to McDonald's. I got that fish sandwich. I pulled up. As I pull up, my aunts also are pulling up and my dad all of whom have fish sandwiches. She had six, and she's on the porch laughing so hard because she's like, gotcha. She, this Sally, she's hilarious. She will do these things to you. But Sally, you know, she would, she worked, and she worked amongst other handicapped people who had different disabilities and stuff. Have you ever seen a withered hand? It's, it's a sight. You know, somebody who's, whose limbs just aren't right. You can't miss it. Have you ever noticed that? And you've been around some people, and we want to show them love and respect, don't we? And what do little kids do? They just stare. And so you train them from an early age. Let's not stare. Why do they stare? Because it's so different. They're not trying to make the person feel bad. They're, they're in awe of the injury or the handicap. I'm telling you, everybody in the synagogue, everybody in the church knew this guy with the weird hand. Everybody did. Every kid in town knows who he is. Everybody knows this guy. But the Pharisees, the lawyers, the scribes, these educated guys who've got it all figured out are not concerned about Larry with the weird hand. They don't care about Larry. They care about trapping Jesus. And now they see that hand stretch out in healing and it works and everybody's in awe and they are furious. What is that? That's not right. That is not right. Why are they so angry? I think there's an element of they're angry because of the audacity that <coughs> Jesus would do this in violation of their laws. Yes. In and that's the thing too, isn't it? In violation of their laws. And see, that's the funny part is they read, they had the Old Testament. They didn't have the New Testament yet. It wasn't written. They had the same Old Testament we had. But in reading it, they took the spin off of their 600 laws in a different direction than God's heart actually was. And what's shocking here is that these are the guys, these are the gurus, these are the TikTok superstars. Do you know how many TikTok psychologists there are in the world now? And they're all 18. And I'm telling you right now, don't listen to them, they don't know. They don't know, and they look beautiful, and they're driving Lamborghinis, God help us. They have no idea what's going on. 
but they think they do, which sounds like 18, doesn't it? And they say it very confidently with a very nice video, and people are duped into it, which is weird in our culture. In this culture, though, if you're going to listen to somebody, wouldn't you listen to the Princeton graduate? And the scribe who's the most meticulous, the most disciplined person you have ever met, their life is figured out. And they know. They know the rules upon the rules upon the rules. And we love rules. We do. When you watch those TikTok videos, if you watch one that's just sort of out there, it's not so helpful. But if it's three ways to slim down for your swimsuit, you're, you got it. I got three steps. I can do that. If it's four ways to make your marriage better in 2023, you're like, these are great rules. If it's 12 rules that every young man should know, every dad is like, hmm, let me see this list. Because we like rules, don't we? They actually are very helpful. And God knows that. He gave us the Ten Commandments. He gave us rules. The Lord is an orderly God. But also, we have a proclivity to take them sometimes beyond what he wants. Not only that, but our minds don't rest the way God has intended us to. And so we come in and we say, Lord, I'm going to give you all my, they misread that email, and now you got to send one, and maybe I should get a meeting with these people, and what was that fourth rule of being a gentleman? Okay, it's always look them in the eye, so if, and now you got to send one, and maybe I should get a meeting with these people, and what was that fourth rule of being a gentleman? Okay, it's always look them in the eye, so if I meet them and I look them in the eye, we're going to fix this. And the Lord's like, what are you doing? And the problem here is that we have the same proclivity, the same pull as the Pharisees who thought they really had it figured out. And many times, we get kind of angry when God doesn't do it the way we want it. Because if, the, if they had watched Larry get his withered hand healed on Monday, I think they would have been in awe. But it was church. You're not allowed to do that. And they totally missed the heart of God with the rule they made. Do you have rules in your life that are missing the heart of God? Do you have so much noise in your head that you can't stop it to hear from him? Have you got it all figured out? Because you know exactly what to do. These are the people that Jesus is talking to, and I'm blessed because he's talking to me. He's talking to you. He's talking to all of us. So we have two stories here about the Sabbath, and in both of them, the Pharisees are trying to trip up Jesus. On the first story, the disciples are hungry. You ever get hungry on Sunday? You know what's really a hard day to preach is the other, uh, the other time saver day. Yeah, spring forward, it's like 10.30 right now. Everybody's just confused. No big deal. So right now it's 11.39, but everybody's like, 11th, it doesn't feel like that at all. Maybe I'll have a nap later. That's how everybody feels. But on, on fall back... At 11.39, it's actually 12.39, and in the back row, there's five people like, I'm starving. Um, I have a reservation at Chili's. What are we doing right now? That is, that's a hard day to preach, because that's always, you can tell, too, as you're going on, it hits like 11.45, and the whole room is like, hmm, I can think about, I'm thinking about a cheeseburger, which I'm sorry now to put that thought in your head. <laughs> But these guys are hungry. They're hungry on the Sabbath. And they're walking through a field. And it's not their field. Now, the Pharisees are not worried about theft. 
because they know that poor people, and Jesus was not a wealthy guy. He just wasn't. He gave away a lot to the poor. He slept outside most of the time. He wasn't in a palace. So it was normal for the poor to be able to come into somebody's field and just sort of harvest some stuff for themselves. Now, that didn't mean they could harvest like a huge chunk and like take your field from you. That would be theft. But just to walk through and get something so they're not starving, normal. So here's the disciples, and you can see how this conversation would have went. They're walking around. They know all the Pharisees' rules. And probably Jesus said to them, hey, guys, are you hungry? Grab some grain. And some of the good disciples said, but Lord, it's Sunday. And Jesus went, yeah, you hungry? Go for it. It's fine. Okay. okay. So they grab the grain and they start eating it. And here's the weird part. The Pharisees are watching them. Have you ever just stopped and watched somebody walk through a field? No. That's ridiculous. Unless you're looking for a way to trap them. You do it if you think somebody's going to be stealing from you. You do it if you think something is weird. If your neighbor's out of town and somebody pulls up, you're going to watch them. Who are you? Oh, you're a nephew? Prove it. You know, that's how you're going to do it. That's my neighbor's house. You better watch out. No catalytic converts for you. That's what we do, right? That's what the Pharisees are doing, except they're not, they know Jesus isn't going to steal. Instead, they're watching, what can we do to this guy? How can we get him? But here's the weird part. Get him for what? Casting out demons? Healing people? Bringing liberty? Bringing life? Yes, because it's not what they want. It's against the norm. He's rocking the boat too much. And this thing is already starting to come against what Jesus is doing that's in their own hearts. And so they're watching, waiting for a moment when they can accuse him, when something can trip, up, trip them up. And what do they see? They see a disciple walking, breaking that grain up, and popping it in his mouth. And they're like, yeah, you shouldn't do that. It's the Sabbath. What does Jesus say? He says, didn't David, in your law that you are experts of, didn't David one time go to the temple and eat the bread that he was not supposed to eat? Now, the background of that is this. David had been anointed to become king of the nation. In fact, he's going to be their, one of their greatest kings. He's the rallying king. And just for added fun, he's the ancestor of Jesus. And Jesus is the rightful heir to that throne, which is a very well, shocking detail. And so David is in service to the, the king who is now the current king. His name is Saul. And Saul has had bad policies. He's all over the place. His decisions are wishy-washy. He's kind of a coward, unfortunately, but he's very handsome. He's about my height, which is very different. In the Middle East, not many people are that tall, but he's super tall, so the people are like, Whoa, he's got to be the best because he's so tall. In reality, his, he's not really following the Lord, and things aren't going well. So God anoints David to be king, but David's a young man. And David is proven to be anointed by God because he goes out and he fights a giant. He starts delivering the people. He's raised to this military place of excellence. He becomes one who is delivering militarily the nation of Israel. And the current king says, you should marry my daughter. That's a big deal. You marry the princess. So David's an up-and-comer. Everybody knows he's great. But he comes against what Saul wants. And so Saul decides in his heart that he is going to murder David. The problem is David is best friends with the prince, who, by the way, is about 20 years older than him. Now, that's shocking because the prince is the rightful heir to the throne, 20 years older than this kid. 
But even the prince recognizes God's hand is on this guy and not on me. That takes a lot of maturity. And he hears from his dad, hey, dad, what do you think about David? And Saul the king says, son, next time I see that guy, we're going to kill him. This is not good. So he sets up a secret plan with David. He says, I'm going to warn you. You stay in this field. He goes out with his, he's the prince, so he's got like an armor bearer guy with him, this boy. He says, I'm going to shoot some arrows at this target. You go get them. And the boy says, okay, yes, prince. So he shoots the arrow, but he shoots it way over the target too far. And the boy comes to get it, and he goes looking for it. He goes, no, go further. And he shoots another one way far, even past. And he shouts out to him, quick, run, find it. Come, go, you got to go, you got to go. He's not talking to the boy, he's talking to David. You got to go, don't come in. So David knows it's dangerous here. He jumps up, he leaves with nothing. Where does he go? He goes to church. It's the first place he goes. Comes and he finds the priest. This is 1 Samuel chapter 21. Ahimelech is the name of the priest. Ahimelech comes out trembling because now one of the generals of the army is there alone, which is weird. What you, what, how, what, how can I serve you? And David says, what do you have here? I need provisions. I'm on a mission. I, 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 I have nothing. All I have is the sword of one of the champions of these enemy empires that you killed and the bread that goes before the Lord that no one can touch except the priests. It's reserved for the Lord himself. And David says, bring me the sword, bring me the bread. And they bring the bread to David. He says, I, I, here, here, you shouldn't eat this. He says, I need it, I'm on a mission from God. And then he goes. Now here's the problem. David, in his distress, leaves with nothing. And he's anointed. He's on a mission from God. He's doing what God's called him to do. And he doesn't do it exactly right at the temple. But he comes to the one place where he knows he can go to find the Lord, the first stop. And he finds the priests aren't even really helpful. But what he gets there are two things. He gets equipped. He gets equipped with the bread and with the sword that he needs because he left with nothing. And he finds that he is stronger, strengthened for the journey of what God has ahead of him. And now the, the Pharisees are standing talking to Jesus. And they say, how is it that your disciples can break all of our rules? It's the Sabbath day. They shouldn't be eating that bread. And now the great, great, great grandson of David, the descendant who's supposed to come to the throne, God himself, the second person of the Trinity, who is forever God, who's become a man for us, is talking to the experts of the law. And he's telling them, in me, my disciples will find strength and be equipped. They can eat the bread. It's not unlawful because we're on a mission. The Pharisees have nothing to say to this. They can't rebut because they know even in the law, David wasn't condemned because he was actually doing something higher than the specific rules of what they thought were so important. Jesus is driving them back to the big things and not the minute. Then he goes to the synagogue and he sees Larry. I don't know if his name is Larry. I'm just using that name. I don't know why I like that name. It's probably from VeggieTales. But he finds Larry with the withered hand. And here's the crazy part. Jesus, who is God, he knows the Pharisees are trying to trap him. He perceives their thoughts because he's God. 
that they are trying to, tra- to trip him up. And he brings the man to center stage. Let's let everybody see what's happening. And he asks, is it better to do right according to what God had said, the big things, the mission? Should we do what God said to do? Or is it better just to overlook him and do evil? And he says, in me, you'll be equipped and strengthened. Stretch out your hand. And the miracle happens, and fury fills the hearts of those people who are set against Jesus. What does that mean for us? Here's what it means. You need to know, you need to know that Jesus Christ is the master of the Sabbath. He's the master of life. He's the master of the law. He's the master of all things. He is the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. How do we know that? Because Jesus Christ went to the cross for us. He died for us. He took all of the wrath of God for our sin upon himself, but he defeated it in the resurrection. He is not dead. He is not slain. He is the king of kings, the Lord of lords, and he's alive today, and he's seated on the throne. He's the master of all things. Did you know that the Bible says in the New Covenant that God writes his law on our hearts and minds? That we would have the very law of God put in on, on us. You need to know that that Jesus, who's the King of kings and the Lord of lords, is the one who is leading you, equipping, equipping you, and strengthening you. What do we need? How, does, how do we live then? What should our life be like? Our life should be like one in which we live in his victory. Here's what I mean by that. All of these things happen on the Sabbath day. What was the Sabbath day? It was a holy day. It was set apart. What else do you know about the Sabbath day? For the Jews, it was on Saturday. For us, it's on Sunday. Why is it on Sunday for us now? Because Jesus Christ rose on a Sunday. So Christians have taken the holy day and we remember Christ's resurrection on Sunday. Right? Praise God for that. So that's why we do church stuff on Sunday. Okay? But what, what else was it? What else was that day? It's a day of rest. Because God for six days created the earth, and on the seventh day he rested. Did you know that because of Christ's victory over sin and death, if you believe in him, you enter into his victory? Did you know that the Bible says that if you confess your sins, he removes your sin as far as the east is from the west? That he takes away all of that junk out of, out of you? that he clothes you with his righteousness. Did you know that if you're in Christ Jesus and you believe in him, that he washes you clean, he makes you his, and he calls you son and daughter? And the Bible even says that he raises us up, and spiritually we are seated with him in heavenly places. That is good news. If you try to follow 600 laws to get there, you will never get there. What I'm trying to tell you is this. For us To believe in Jesus also means that we have to embrace his victory and rest in what he has done. Out of gratitude now, we serve him and do good things. But if you try to attain it by your own merit, you will never, ever get there. The only way to know peace and life, the only way to know being equipped or being strengthened is through Jesus Christ who was crucified and raised for us. He is the way, the truth, and the life. But now in a Sabbath day, we live, we rest in the victory of God. The problem is that most of us actually live like Pharisees instead of living in the rest of God. 
And what I mean by that is when we quiet our minds, when we come to church, when we come to worship him, we have all these things that are blazing around and all this stuff that we need to fix and all these things that we need to do. And we try to leave them at the door and separate them away from who we are in Jesus. And we come and say, oh, everything's perfect and it's good and we're good and it's wonderful and uh, Jesus is with us and this is great and it's good and amen. And then you go home and you have to make lunch for a toddler and all of that stuff floods back in your head. Because you can stop it for a few minutes, the rush of life, the things that happen, the disappointments, all the stuff that bombards your head. You can stop it for a few minutes and fake it or you can live in his rest, equipped and strengthened by him. This is what I'm talking about. Um, I have five children. My oldest is 11, and they are blessings. And I would trade nothing. I'm so blessed to have them. They're wonderful. Wouldn't we say that always about our kids? Also, I have not slept in 11 years. I've not slept a full night 11 years. Yesterday, which is every day, when I was thinking about this, I could choose literally any day of life other than if I'm out of town for some reason. And so literally every day, I will put my children to bed, and one of, there's five, one of them will get up for some reason. Usually, it will be a drink, but the drink is really, what are you doing? They want to, are you, what, why does it smell like popcorn? What's happening? I smell popcorn. That's what they really want to know. So what do you do? You get them in bed, they're in bed. Now, that one has woken up another one who now thinks it's morning, and also, why is there popcorn, and comes out. And so now, second time, in bed. Now, the third one has a poop accident, and now we're doing that. And so we're, here we are. Now it's 10.30, and, the, and I'm just trying to watch Mandalorian, guys. I just want to see what happens to Mandalorian. It's great. Listen, the other night then, I heard this weird thing. Mouse in my house. God help me. Mouse in my house? <sighs> it was not good. Then we have washing everything and traps. We're doing it. What happens now? Children, come out. I heard you doing something. Oh, my gosh, what's happening? Now it's midnight. We've got to be up at 5 a.m., and now, and I have no rest because now I'm just thinking about mice and every noise I hear, mouse. Every, you, ever, you know what I'm talking about? Yes. Right? And then you wake up and go to church. <sighs> and on the way to church, you had a fight with your wife in the car. The kids were crazy. You threatened their lives six times. <laughs> I brought you in this world. I'll take you out. <laughs> Lord, give me strength. Right? That's what we do. And then you walk in. Hi, everybody. Oh, it's so, it's so great to see you. Did you lose weight? Oh, my gosh. Your shoes are so nice. This is a great day. It's a great day. Until you get back in the car again. Pfft, worst meeting ever. Did you hear the music? Did they even have the bass on? What happened? I don't know. What's up with the lights? I know, right? Did you smell so-and-so? Way too much perfume. Just, what? So we faked it for 45 minutes, for an hour and a half. We faked it really good. And then we became Pharisees. And we got rules to figure it out. And the rule is, you fake it here, because you don't want anybody to know what it's really like. And Jesus calls us to be equipped in him. He's the king. To be strengthened in him. He's the king. You will not know rest unless you rest in him. And I'm telling you today, <coughs> excuse me, I'm telling you today, you can say, my pastor said to do this. You should take a nap today. You should. You should take a nap today. You know why? Because today's the day of rest. And you do it and you lay down and you say, Lord, thank you. You are covering me. 
Lord, thank you that I have grain to eat. Thank you that my hand's not withered. Thank you that you're overseeing all these things. And I can sleep now trusting in vulnerability. You've got it. Because that's the Pharisee heart is, yeah, thank you. I got it. I got it. Yeah, yeah, okay, Grace. I got it. I got it. I see <laughs> gospel. Okay, I got it. I'm fine. I got it. Look at me. I'm perfect. I got it. That's the Pharisee heart. And the reality is for us, we need to say, Lord, I trust you so much. I will sleep today. I won't get the order out. I won't send the email. I won't fix the problem. I won't do the thing. You are in charge. Strengthen me. Equip me that I can honor you. Because tonight I'm going to have to change six poopy diapers. <laughs> and I need you. Right? Now this, so we, come and we bring it all to him. Lord, if my hands smell like poop again, I'm going to lose my mind. That's a real, I prayed that real prayer for really two days ago. Why? Why? But this is, but it's real now, isn't it? And then also somebody says, how you doing? You're like, my hands smell like poop. I'm okay. The Lord's on the throne. I'm in faith. But man, I got to tell you, like, we got to get this figured out. Please, mouse in my house. What the heck? And now the body stands together, strengthening each other, equipping each other, in Christ, because he's our equipping, he's our strength, his victory is our victory, his rest is our rest. So what do you do? Take a nap. Take a nap. And what I mean by that is, shut off your mind. Shut off your fix-it rules. And say, Lord, I trust you. And just rest. And be honest. And then when we see Larry's hand stretch out, we all rejoice. And we're not in our heart going furious things running around and all the weirdness because we have cast out the Pharisee heart and we've said, Lord, I'm yours, holy heart and soul. My strength is yours. My life is yours. Use me for your mission. I want to see your righteousness, your peace and your joy. And now our lives just, Monday morning's different that way, isn't it? But here's the problem, ready? If you're thinking right now, my Monday morning will be good because I will get up at 4.30 and have a 30-minute devotion. That's a Pharisee. If you're thinking in your heart right now, my Monday morning will be good because I will be so disciplined, you're a scribe. Jesus is not calling you to that. Now, be disciplined for him. Rest in him. If you can't receive his rest, then you can't walk with him. You think all the disciples breaking that grain? You've got to break the grain with the Lord. Say, I trust you, Lord. I trust you more than I trust those Pharisees watching us. That's the reality. Now, be disciplined. Discipline is great. God invented it. But it's under knowing his gospel, resting in him, then discipline, in response to what he's done, not to try to earn what he's doing. Does that make sense? So what do you need to know? You need to know he is the master of everything. How do you live? You live as people who are at rest in God, who then also work hard out of that place of rest. What do you do? Take a nap. Take a nap as a declaration, Lord, I trust you. Now, maybe you don't do well with a nap sometimes. You ever have a nap that's like too long of a nap and then you're shot for the day? So if you don't want to take a nap, I'm seeing the principle of a nap. Watch golf. What, there's no golf probably right now. But whatever. My point is, like, you can rest in him and trust him that all those things that are swirling in your head, bring it to him and say, Lord, 
equip me, strengthen me. Here's all the stuff, and I'm just going to rest in you today. Tomorrow morning, I know you're going to do it because you'll give me the wisdom. Amen? Because he's good. Will you stand? Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for your grace. Lord, thank you so much, Lord, that you are the master of all things. Lord, we rest in you today because you have earned us rest by your work. So, Lord, we present our hearts to you, Father, and if there's any scribe or Pharisee stuff in there, Lord, if there's any stuff in there that we're trying to do that you have already earned for us, Lord, forgive us. Purge it out of our hearts. Lord, we want to be strengthened in you. We want to be equipped in you and in your rest. And not trying to do it ourselves because you, oh God, you're our source. Lord, we lay ourselves at your feet. We ask you that today we would know the peace of your rest and your grace upon us. Lord, thank you that you are truly with us and you're a God almighty. May you know today in this Sabbath day the call of the Father. May you know the rule of the Son who is over all things, who is, sees all that's happening, knows your prayers. He's intervening for you. By his stripes we're healed. He has secured you rest. Rest in his victory. And then serve him well. And may you know the power of the Holy Spirit to accomplish all the things that he has called us to do by his might and not by ours. God bless you. Have a wonderful day. We'll see you hopefully on Wednesday or next week. Blessings to you all. Have a great day.